I'm going to just briefly review some of the things that we've covered up to this point. But we'll start at least in opening the Bible to Romans 12 and 3. So I've been sharing with you just kind of a inside look into how I learn from the Lord and, and how I believe He wants all of us to learn from Him. And it always begins, you know, with me, you know, in reading and studying the Word. And then the Holy Spirit will emphasize something in the Word that um, just, it'll stand out. I don't know how to say that other than, you know, you just, it'll, it'll stand out. I, in this case, I was actually listening to somebody else read a text who was about to preach a sermon. And right now, I don't recall exactly who it was. But they were reading the text about Peter walking on water. And when he got back into the boat... And, you know, just reading through it, you know how a preacher does before he's going to preach. And when they came to that phrase, why did you doubt? It was the Holy Spirit was breathing on that immediately. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And so we actually, I think, I don't know, two or three sermons titled, Why Did You Doubt? And just in meditating on that whole faith experience with Peter and him walking on water by faith and then beginning to doubt, and beginning to sink because the doubt was undermining his faith. I, I asked the Lord, you know, just again meditating in, in my heart and mind, where did where did Peter get that faith? Because I'd I'd like to have some of it, right? And 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 Peter got his faith the same place everybody gets faith um, from the faith giver, the author and the finisher of our faith, right? The one who started us out in faith will see us through to the end in faith, and that's Jesus. And Romans 12 and 3, um, it says, For I say through the grace given to me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. As God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. That word dealt can mean distributed. It can also mean shared, has shared with every man. The measure of faith because what we see in Mark 11 is that the measure of faith that we've been given is the God kind of faith it's it's none other than the faith that God used to create the universe and the worlds and and everything that we know in this natural world and he has shared with you a measure of that faith he has given dealt distributed shared with every man a measure of that faith. So it's something that resides within a person. And we have spent time already explaining what that looks like and how to understand that. But one of the main ways that I go to every time is you can go halfway around the world and preach the gospel to someone who's never heard the name of Jesus a single time And faith by hearing, hearing the Word of God will activate the faith that is already inside of them, enabling them to call upon the name of the Lord and receive salvation. So we all have been given the measure of faith. And because it can be measured, this tells us that it's a substance. And let me just read this right quick. We often think of faith in terms of a theory or a philosophy existing in the mind. 
thoughts and thinking are key factors in the overall operation of faith, but faith is first and foremost a spiritual substance. In other words, it's something that resides in you, that's in you right now. And we've also said, and I'll just, if I could, right quick, that the measure of faith that you've been given is greater than any natural force, um, any, any spiritual force, any force of nature, any force of darkness. That's why the faith that you've been given is capable of overcoming everything that's in this world. Anything and everything that's in this world, the faith that you've already been given is capable of rising above it and overcoming it. This is why Jesus, and he, and he basically said it both ways just to make it clear, all things are possible to him who believes, nothing is impossible for him who believes. So all things are possible, nothing's impossible. Letting us know that the faith that we've been given can literally move mountains into the ocean. And I know that, how do I say this? I mean, we're talking about God, right? I mean, you know, is anything too hard for the Lord? I mean, if he can split the Red Sea open so that the nation of Israel can walk across on dry ground, then how much bigger of a deal is it for him to move a mountain into the ocean? But he didn't say that he could move the mountain into the ocean. He said you could move the mountain into the ocean because of the measure of faith that he's given you that, that is how, if you believe in your heart and do not doubt, right? So operating in faith, we can literally, you know, theoretically you could move the mountain. Theoretically he could split the sea. Theoretically Jesus could walk on water. No, no, not theoretically. These are things that he's already done, demonstrated for us to see and to understand. Now, we also said this, God has shared this substance with every person, but because faith is so powerful and mankind has proven to be untrustworthy and rebellious with even lesser gifts, faith's ability to operate in your life is conditional. Faith's ability to operate in your life is conditional. And we said the first condition was faith will not work outside of the Word of God. There has to be something that God has spoken um, that provides the boundaries, the, 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 the parameters, if you will, for faith to operate. So notice, by God's establishing it this way, this means faith can never be used in a way contrary to Him, to who He is, and, and to what He desires to happen on planet Earth. Because this faith, I'm telling you, it's powerful stuff. It, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> whew, it's, it's big time. All right, And then the second thing, and this is where we left off week before last, last time we were together, is that faith resides in and works from the heart. So one more time, this measure of faith, like you can measure, um, you know, we've used different examples. Um, you, you can measure a pound of butter. You can measure, in other words, faith is a substance that can be measured, and Father God has given you a scoop. He's given you, think like coffee. Um, Pops and I were talking on uh, Sunday morning, you know, 
how many thousand gallons of coffee you think you've made over the years, Bob, <laughs> here at the church, right? And, of course, we haven't been doing that because of COVID and just trying to keep the social distancing and all that stuff in place, you know. And, um, but, you know, you make that coffee, you take a scoop, you know, you level it off and you put it in there. You're measuring out the coffee. I want you to get this, this picture of, of, of Father God sharing a scoop, a measure of his faith with you, putting it inside of you, and it's inside of you right now. This is why when Peter heard the word come and, and he activated that faith by the word that was spoken, he was able to use his faith to walk on water because uh, it, it was in him, uh, sitting on G, waiting on O, right? It, it, was, it was ready uh, to, to roll. So this measure of faith, this substance of faith, it resides in and works from the heart. Now this is, um, I've never taught this before. I'm sure other people have, or at least the way I'm teaching it right now. But this is, I think, a, a, a big piece of this faith puzzle, if you will, in our understanding it and being able to operate in it effectively. I, I know that I'm not, but, but I, at least I don't think I'm the only person that is wanting to operate uh, at a higher level of faith. You understand what I mean by that? In other words, I, I'm thankful for, you know, it's from faith to faith, from glory to glory, from, you know, grace for grace. And so, you know, he's talking about different levels, but the faith that I have in me and the faith that you have in you is capable of far more than what we are accomplishing with it up until this point in our lives. Amen. Is that, that's not a statement of judgment. That's just, that's just the way it is. And we even see Paul recognize that in his life as, as he was continuing to strive and reach to lay hold of more and more uh, of what was made available to him uh, by faith. So the, let's go back to it then. Faith resides in and works from the heart. So this measure of faith that's in your heart, it is, here's, I guess another way to say it, it's dependent upon your heart to, to work effectively. Faith will not work in a contaminated heart. And so there's different things that contaminate our heart. Uh, doubt is one of the most obvious ones. Um, Jesus said if there's doubt in your heart, um, your, your faith won't work. Um, if, if you're divided in, 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 your, in your thinking, um, the Bible says you're, that you're a double-minded man and that you should not expect to receive anything from God by faith. Uh, so, so notice there's you know, this, 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 this double standard, this, this being pulled in two directions at the same time. Um, other things like uh, a big one that we've, we've already looked at you know, briefly, uh, we'll mention it again tonight, is, is unforgiveness. Do you realize... And if you start reading the Gospels, I mean, obviously the whole Bible, Old Testament and New, but specifically when you read the Gospels, pay attention to what Jesus said about forgiveness and about having strife or ought against your brother. I mean, Jesus went, I was, I was thinking about this. Um, Jesus said, like, if, you've, if you bring your offering and, and there's some issue between you and a brother... Before you give your offering, go get it straight with your brother and then come back and give your offering. Now, I'm trying to think if 
I don't know of a pastor that's ever told somebody not to give the offering until they have something, you know, that needs to be corrected. But that's Jesus, right? Because Jesus, you know, he wasn't trying to get people's money. He was trying to get money to people. You hear me? Giving and paying your tithes is not because God's broke. It's because because a lot of people are. (laughs) And he's wanting to get money uh, to you. So notice then, Jesus knows that if the heart is contaminated, if there's something not right in the heart, then... That man doesn't need to give that offering because it's, it's not going to produce any kind of results or return um, in his life until he gets the heart condition fixed first. And so get the forgiveness and do whatever you got to do and then bring the offering. Amen. It's, it's, there's a lot of different ways that you could try to emphasize the importance of that, but Jesus and some of the things that he had to say about it are uh, among the, 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 not just the clearest, but the most profound. So we're, we're taking this uh, statement, faith resides in and works from the heart, out of Romans chapter 10 and verse 10, where it simply says, for with the heart one believes. For with the heart one believes. And so I was asking the Lord for a way to, number one, understand this better for myself, but then also to um, to be able to present it to other folks. And um, I realized uh, in an appointment that I had on Monday when I was trying to explain this to a person that I had really maybe kind of complicated it and there's a simpler way to say it, okay? And so here's the simplest way to say it and we'll build from there. A perfectly good light bulb will not work in a broken or faulty lamp. A perfectly good light bulb will not work in a broken or faulty lamp. So what's the point? The point is perfectly good faith will not work in a broken or a faulty heart because in the same way that a light bulb resides in and works from a lamp, faith resides in and works from the heart. This is how, this is how our Creator Father was able to trust us with a substance that is as powerful as the substance of faith. He put it in your heart, something that will move mountains. He put it in your heart, but it resides in your heart, and it works from your heart. And if there's a problem with your heart, it will prevent your faith from working. Now, I think we need to understand this because it, first of all, puts... All the things that we see in the scripture, like we've already mentioned, forgiving and and um, how about uh, how about the Lord loves a cheerful giver. See, you can give by faith, but are you? Let me say it another way: you can try to give by faith, but if if you're doing so grudgingly, if there's if there's you know if there's angst in your heart about giving, then that that heart condition is going to disable your faith, which means you're not giving by faith. And you need to give by faith. Amen. So he, he says that the Lord loves a cheerful giver, right? Somebody who is not just giving because they're going through the motions or it's some you know, religious duty, but it's something 
that, that, that a person is legitimately excited about doing. See, excitement is, is that's again, it's talking about a condition of the heart. So how about, how about if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land? So there's a lot of people who are obedient, but they're not willing. Willing is, is about the condition of the heart. It's about the direction that the heart is leaning. So there are a lot of people who strive to obey God, but they're not, they're not doing it willingly. They're doing it begrudgingly. They're doing it out of a sense of duty. They're doing it um, because of how it looks in front of other people and all, all kinds of reasons. But, but notice, Father wants us to obey Him from a willing heart um, where, where our heart is, is in it, amen, uh, even more so, if you will, than our uh, actions or our ability. So, one other just review, we've mentioned this already, I believe it's Hebrews 10, where he says that um, it's not more faith that you need, but it's endurance. Or the King James Version says perseverance. See, a lot of times, you know, we're, we're trying to believe God for things, and, and, and we think that there's some issue with our faith. When I'm beginning to see more times than not, there's, there's nothing wrong with the faith that he gave you. The, the, the problem is the lamp, right, that the faith bulb is screwed into. In other words, the heart. The, the, these are the, the things that, that we need to let, examine and let the Holy Spirit help us um, see. Now, <clears throat> we won't turn there tonight, but I think at least those in the room are very familiar with Jesus' parable of the sower where he talks about a man who planted seed and the seed landed on different uh, types or conditions of soil. And we see that um, either no plant, no fruit was produced all the way up to 30, 60, 100-fold results were experienced from the, the, the farmer planting the seed. And in this master key parable, Jesus said, if you can't understand this parable, how will you understand all the rest? In this master key parable, what Jesus is showing us is that each of the four different soil conditions represent four different conditions of, of men's and women's hearts. And we see that when the, the seed of God's word, which, by the way, is incorruptible, so, so in, in this parable, um, you can't blame little or no fruit on bad seed because father's seed like father's faith will always produce the results that father intends for it to produce so the the variable um the weak link and and i hate to use it that way but just trying to emphasize the weak link in 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 this scenario is the condition um of the person's heart that's receiving the Word of God. And so this, again, is, I think, emphasizing in this all-important parable the importance of our heart when it comes to um, you know, reaping or receiving into our lives the things that Father God has for us to receive. Now, with all that said, let's go 
praise God, to Mark the 6th chapter. Mark chapter 6. Amen. You got a few more minutes? Amen. That was kind of weak. Praise God. All right, Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 and verse number 37. Okay? Amen. Mark chapter 6 and verse number 37. Amen. Hey, let me let me let me just say this, okay? And I, I'm I'm not telling you this to uh, to draw attention to myself or or, or brag on uh, uh, Pam or or uh, or myself, but but we have decided to take it up a notch. You, you know, what do we mean by that? More time praying in tongues, more time in the Word, more time talking about the things of God, more time encouraging other people. It was just, you know, whatever, we, whatever we've been doing 2021, we're doing more of it for the kingdom, okay? And, and so what's... <laughs> amen. I, I, I'm not trying to alarm you, but it, it, I try to be very conscious of the time. Um, and again... You know, at the end of the class tonight, we had some really heavy, important things to talk about. Um, we had about 10 minutes to go. I could have tried to squeeze it in, but I recognize just from the Holy Spirit that we need to do it next week. Everybody be fresh. We'll start with it next week and that sort of thing. So, you know, I understand that people's attention spans are limited and children and all that stuff. But, you know, the the time, the place that we give him, the time that we assigned to him and to his things um it's it's really really important okay so i'm not about to preach to 10 o'clock but let's just if we could let's just push a little further uh into this tonight and um and then we'll pick it up next week so in mark chapter 6 verse 37 um i'll just read through some of this and we'll comment it's on down the verses that i really want us to look at but i want to kind of set the stage for those verses but he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. Now, what's just happened is the disciples have pointed out to Jesus that there's a large crowd of people who have been with Jesus now for a couple of days at least and listening to him, learning from him. And, um, and they're tired and they're hungry and they need to go and get them some food and, and, and go home. You know? <laughs> it doesn't say it, you know, but I think what's implied here is the disciples needed a little rest themselves. And so they're ready to call it a day and, um, and uh, you know, start fresh again after a little bit of a break. And so Jesus surprised them and he says to them, um, no, you feed them. You, it's, it's important. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they had five loaves of bread and two fish. Then he commanded them, by the way, he'll always want to know what you have. Okay, that, that's important right there. We, we tend to focus on and what we don't have, and that's not who he is. That's not how he works. What do you have? Okay. And he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments, and of the fish, 
Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. And in another gospel version of this, we see that that's 5,000 men plus women and children. And they had big families in those days. So this could have easily been 20,000 people. You're, I mean, you're talking about a, a, a small arena full of people. Um, you, you're, you're talking about a lot of folks, okay? Um, but think about it now. <laughs> you know, would it have been easier for Jesus to feed 200 people with that? I mean, 200, 20,000, whatever. You know, I mean, if it's a little boy's lunch and we can feed more than a little boy with it, then there's miracle power involved. I know, again, you guys are not rookies, but 12 disciples, 12 baskets full of fragments, and how this miracle happened is Jesus took the lunch, he prayed over it, and then he put a piece of it in each of those 12 men's hands so that when the miracle happened, it happened in their hands because Jesus was trying to make an impression on them, specifically on their hearts. He, he was specifically trying, and I'll show you this as we keep going here, he was specifically trying to change something in their hearts. He was, and, and remember, you think in your heart. Thinking is not just in the brain. Thinking is a part of the soul, and the soul is a part of the heart. And so there, there was a way that these men were thinking that needed to change. And this miracle was certainly about feeding hungry people, but it was also, Jesus was multitasking here, it was also about changing something in his disciples' hearts. Now, verse 45, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. And while he sent the multitude away, I'm sorry, while he sent the multitude away, and so not only are the disciples needing a rest, Jesus is needing a rest, and Jesus is wanting to spend some time along with his Father. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. Never underestimate the importance of inviting Jesus into your problem. Did you hear me? Never underestimate. See, we, we have this idea that, well, you know, he knows everything and he knows what I need. Yes, the Bible says he knows what you need before you ask. But there is, there is something very important about you calling upon him, you humbling yourself before him and asking him for his help. So notice it says, and he would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid, okay? Now, I forget the translation, I read this in a lot of translations, but one says it a little more plain than this. It's like, to me, it was, it was I mean no disrespect, but it was, it was like Jesus was saying, cut that out, quit that fearing, you know, stop, stop being afraid, it's kind of that, and I, I, I really think, you know, because have you ever, like, have you ever seen somebody, like, really upset about something that there's no need to be upset about it? 
you know, really like freaking out about something and it's like, look, it's right here. You haven't lost it. It's right, it's right there in front of you. you know. So it's kind of that whole deal. It's like Jesus' perspective was there's no need for them to be carrying on the way they were carrying on. And, you know, he's like, hey, cheer up, man. Be, quit, quit being so fearful. Then he went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Now, verse 52 is the one we'll, we'll end with tonight. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. They had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Am I the only one that just first glance, it doesn't seem like this verse goes here. You know, it seems like he should be talking about the loaves before all of this. Or let me say it another way. The mistake that they made is a mistake, I think, that we make, even in reading this, in that they did not connect the miracle of the loaves with Jesus walking on water. They, they didn't understand what one had to do with the other. They, when they're trying to process him walking on the water, the one thing that is vacant from their hearts is earlier that day him multiplying food and feeding a couple of 10,000 people or whatever it was, 20,000 people or however many it was. Are you following what I'm saying? Does the number bother you when I say 20,000? We don't know what that 5,000 men, if most of them were married, that's 8,000. And if they averaged, you know, three kids apiece, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you're getting on up there. But anyway, it, it, it was, did not factor in to their consideration, their thinking whatsoever. So why are we bringing it up tonight? Let's go back to it perfectly good bulb will not work in a broken or faulty lamp and so we know that these men had faith we know that again it doesn't mention it here but that peter gets out of the boat and and walks on the water by faith when jesus was walking on the water but in in all of this what we see is what jesus called a hardened heart, a hardened heart. Now, amen, let's stand, praise God. I know it's 755, praise God. <clears throat> the, um, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right, so, It's, it's, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> it's one of those things that you can say it in tongues, you know. Um, let me, let me just, real quick, thank you, Lord. I don't mean to be acting silly. Um, they thought, you think in your heart, they thought in a direction opposite to, thank you, Holy Spirit. They thought 
in a direction opposite to multiplying fish and loaves and feeding a bunch of people. They made the mistake that a lot of people make make today is that they just thought that was a one-time amazing thing. And they were impressed by it, but it did not change their hearts. It did, and specifically, it didn't change the way they processed information. They see Jesus walking on the water and they panic. And the Bible says they panicked because they failed to consider the miracle of the loaves. In other words, he's, he's saying that they should have connected those two things together. They should have seen him walking on the water and saying, well, look what he's doing now. Surely if he can take a little boy's lunch and feed 20,000 people walking on the water, what's, what, that's, you know... That's just par for the course. Now, I know I'm not trying to minimize or, or, or you know, talk about miracles, you know, in a, in a in other words, we should appreciate, we should respect them. They, they should have been, you know, amazing, give glory to God for this. But on, on the other hand, it should not have been so far outside the scope of their thinking that they panicked and thought he was a ghost and, and it's an omen and it means we're all about to die and all, all these other things. Their hearts should have... The, the miracle of the loaves should have touched them in a way in their heart to where they thought differently about the next miracle they saw Jesus perform. Amen. Does that make sense? But it, but it didn't. It didn't. Their hearts were hardened. We see in other places, and we'll look at them in the days ahead, that the hardness of their heart prevented their faith from accomplishing what it was that it could have otherwise accomplished. All right, Father, you're good to us. We love you. Thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself and your truth to us. I thank you, Father, tonight that, that you have given us the measure of faith. And, Father, you are helping us with the condition of our hearts. Father, you're revealing to us things in our hearts that need to change. Father, you're revealing to us people in our lives that we need to forgive. Father, you're revealing to us even roots of bitterness that we need to turn over to you and allow you to root out of our lives because, Father, we've got a beautiful, beautiful measure of faith trying to operate in a heart that it simply cannot operate from. And so, Lord, this is not to bring guilt or shame or condemnation, Lord. It's, it's, it's to bring understanding and show us, Lord, where we need to grow and develop and learn and move forward. So, Father, thank you for this time together tonight. Thank you for the things that you're showing us. Lord, that we, that we are seeing ourselves as believers, that we are seeing ourselves. We see ourselves as men and women of faith. We see ourselves speaking to problems and those problems changing because it's who we are in you tonight. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, thank you so much for being here. Uh, tell somebody around you good things coming. Those of you watching at home, thank you for tuning in. Tell your family good things coming. We will see you Sunday, if not before. Praise God.